Hi there, you're listening to the Guitar Speak podcast, produced here in Sydney, Australia. My name's Matt Wakeling, and thank you so much for joining me. Now today, in episode number 82, we speak to Michael Ibrahim. Now Michael is the MI behind MI Audio, the Australian pedal and amp company that has found success all around the world. Michael talks us through the inception of MI, starting with the iconic Tube Zone pedal, that really cool chrome pedal, which was inspired by the multi-dimensional drive tones of Alan Holdsworth. MI Audio is possibly best well known for its enormously popular crunch box and super crunch box. So Michael unpacks the evolution of the pedal, including um, some of its inspiration, including the true story behind the internal presence trim pot in, in the early run of pedals. Michael also talks about the flood of blatant copies currently on the market by other companies and what, what that, how that impacts a small independent builder like MI Audio. We also find out about the latest on the MI range of amps, why Michael loves to write epic manuals, and what happened when Marshall wanted to acquire MI Audio. That's at the very end of the podcast, so make sure you hang on till the end there. Michael's a great guest, really intelligent, very thoughtful, very honest, and it was just a pleasure to have him on the show and, and to meet him. Now, Michael's got a, a great association with Brett Kingman. You might remember Brett Kingman from episode five of the Guitar Speak podcast. Of course, Brett's well-known all around the world as a gear reviewer with his amazing YouTube channel. Um, but first and foremost, he's a fantastic guitar player. He's played with James Rain for many years. As I speak, he's doing a couple of shows with Daryl Braithwaite. He's played with Ross Wilson and many others. Great, great guitar player. And uh, Brett was kind enough when, when I told him I was interviewing Michael to uh, share a story and open up the interview. So I'm going to hand it over to Bergs, Brett Kingman, and then we'll jump straight into our interview with Michael Ibrahim. Hey, it's Brett Kingman, and uh, I know that Matt is doing a podcast on the great Michael Ibrahim. So a quick story. I first met Michael back in 2008 when I was playing at The Basement, which is in uh, the Rocks District of Sydney with James Rain and I'd only just gotten into boutique guitar pedals at that point uh, and I'd asked Michael for a Crunchbox and a Blues Pro and he had sent them to me and I'd accidentally mucked up the toggle switch on one and he came to the basement I think by bus and train and delivered a modified version uh, to me along with the brand new at the time tube zone and i've still got all of those three pedals they're the first real boutique pedals i ever owned boutique you know for want of a better term and i couldn't believe michael's generosity and um you know willingness to help and i had no idea that that on that very day that he'd made all of that effort to one um, mod those pedals uh, or that pedal at least and bring it to the basement which was some distance away from where he lived his warehouse had been robbed that very morning and they'd taken you know tons of stuff and he had to go through all of that stress and drama uh with the police and you know uh, and dealing with it but he he said nothing about it and i never found out until days later that that had actually happened but he still came to the basement with you know my sundry little pedals uh which I've treasured ever since and that just goes to show you what kind of heart and soul Michael Ibrahim has he, all of his products are really generously priced they're of the highest quality and so is the man he's just a, a dead set legend as a human and as an engineer and as an innovator and he should be lauded 
in all respects and probably have something like Australian story run on him. Uh, Michael, you're ace, mate, and all the best to you. Cheers. Michael Ibrahim, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to speak to you. Great. Thank you so much. The um, My first question is this, because I know you play guitar. What what came first for you as as a kid, I guess? Was it playing guitars or electronics? Oh, look, that, that's a really interesting question. Um, I mean, I guess, for, I mean, obviously, as, as, as a child, I mean, uh, you know, my memory of music is, is uh, goes back much further. Um, my, my dad actually had a really interesting gig uh, when he grew up in Egypt. Um, so he used to be a, um, he, at night time, he was, uh, well, during the day, he was a, um, a lecturer at uh, Cairo University, lecturing in electrical engineering, but the pay wasn't particularly good, so he had to moonlight. And uh, one of one of the gigs that he had actually was uh, as a uh, an engineer in a recording studio oh, okay, uh, wow. back in Egypt. This is back when engineers actually did engineering, okay. you know, where, where they had to you know uh, build desks and, and you know design compressors and all that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, so he used to come home with a lot of music uh, that they that they recorded there. So we had a huge collection of music uh, in Egypt, uh, you know, predominantly Western stuff. Okay. So I remember things like um, ABBA, yeah. <laughs> rather embarrassingly, <laughs> uh, and Santana, uh, and uh, yeah, a whole bunch of that sort of stuff. Wow. But that was always mixed in with, with engineering for me. So okay. I also remember dad etching PCBs to use in the recording studio wow. in, in our bathroom, <laughs> uh, which was uh, very... Uh, which violates many OHS um, <laughs> regulations, but uh, that's what it was. <laughs> wow. When was this, Michael? It's like seventies. When when was this happening? Seventies, early eighties. Yeah, so so that would have been. Uh, let's say I was born in seventy four. So this would have been in the late seventies, okay. early eighties. Okay. Uh, yeah, that, wow. that this was happening. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So PCBs and ABBA was. Just kind of regular stuff. Basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if you can hear it, Abba, in any of my products, uh, but uh, it's pro- probably buried in there somewhere. I always think there's a lot of rock and roll lurking within Waterloo, so I think uh, <laughs> I think those guys would have dug your stuff. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh man, I I, I do some cover gigs, and if um, if Mamma Mia or something gets called, I'm I'm all over it. So. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm happy no, to hear um, about ABBA. <laughs> it, I, I must admit, uh, my, my, my only ABBA joy these days is really watching my kids uh, and my, my two daughters uh, dance to it. But okay. uh, that's about it, really, for me. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> So um, so through the so really musical, I guess, household, um, did you get into playing? Yeah, look, I, I, I so so we we immigrated to Australia in uh, in eighty two, okay. and um, look, I, I think for me growing up was 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 a, was a little bit of a tough gig being being a uh, you know someone from an Egyptian background, uh, you know, back in, in the eighties, uh, going through the schooling system. Sure. Um, so for me, I think music actually became a way of forming identity. So that was kind of how I I got into music. So when I was fourteen, I, I got my first uh, electric guitar. Uh, and, um, yeah, I was, I was, uh, at that stage, I was, uh, uh, pretty heavily into, you know, all the, uh, all the, uh, metal bands at the time, uh, Bon Jovi and Poison and all that sort okay. of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Guns N' Roses and, 
yeah, so that's kind of where my um, musical journey began in terms of my actual involvement in, in, in the creation of uh, admittedly pretty bad music at the time. <laughs> they call it classic rock now. I think it's okay. Oh, they, they call it many things now. <laughs> <laughs> and what about the electronic side? Did you start messing around with, with stuff at a young age? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, for, you know, my, my father uh, was was a bit of a, a visionary in the sense that uh, he probably heard my guitar playing and thought, "No, this guy's never going to make a career out of it." So I need to uh, <laughs> need to point him in a different direction. So, so um, when I, with my first electric, electric guitar, I was just plugging into the home stereo, and okay, then I said, yeah. "Well, look, Dad, I'm, I'm going to need an amplifier," and he said, "Well, if you want an amplifier, you're going to have to build it." Uh, so he, um, he went and got me, uh, some J car kits. Oh yeah. So he got me a, a little, um, they had a guitar preamp kit with it, with a parametric EQ and a 50 watt uh, solid state amplifier. Okay. So, um, yeah, so we, we, uh, that was my, my first, uh, foray into electronics to do with music. Brilliant. Yeah. So, yeah. And we were pretty stoked. Like once the amp came together and. Did it work uh, out okay? Look, look, it's it's always exciting uh, when you turn something like that on and you don't uh, electrocute yourself and it produces a sound. Um, you know, particularly as a as a, as a young fellow. Um, and yeah, it came out okay. But uh, but uh, my father not being a musician and uh, me not really uh, having that much of a deep understanding of the way that uh, electronics worked. I mean, basically, it ended up being a very clean hi-fi amp. <laughs> So okay. it wasn't particularly rock and roll. So it was great as a as a pedal platform, um, uh, but there was just uh, it, it didn't sound very rock and roll at all. So then I had to uh, move on from there. Okay. And how about pedals? How'd you move towards making those? Oh, uh, look. Um, so 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 I had uh, that that uh, clean uh, platform amplifier, and then I, I needed some dirt. So then obviously I started buying. Uh, dirt pedals and then um, I eventually moved on from that amplifier by the time I got to uni but uh, while I was studying um, electrical engineering at uni I, I kind of thought about um, what it would uh, you know how I'd go about designing an overdrive pedal that produced the kinds of sounds that I wanted okay. uh, so uh, so I then started to think about the idea of, of um, you know as I, as I began to understand the way that vacuum tube amps worked uh, you know, and my, my theory at the time is that, uh, you know, there are multiple gain stages. So instead of trying to get gain out of one stage, you then do it progressively and you'll get a much more vacuum tube sounding design. So that was how I started to think about pedal design. Okay, um, okay. And that's actually where the tube zone was born. So, um, yeah, so the tube zone started off basically as me wanting to sound like Holsworth, uh, Alan Holsworth, but playing through JT120. Okay. Yeah, actually, I've read yeah. you've, You've spoken about Holsworth, and um, obviously, you meant a lot to you as a as a musician, and um, and that tone leading leading to the tube zone. Yep, yep, yeah, um, yeah. So that so in in a strange kind of way, I have Alan Holsworth to to thank for my uh, uh, desire to uh, more deeply explore circuit design. <laughs> awesome, man. Now the tube zone was a huge success. I remember when they came out. A mate of mine had one. It was very exciting because it's incredible chrome pedal that sounded incredible um and it looked a bit bigger than my usual boss pedals that everyone else had so um 
very cool. For a lot of Australians, certainly it was, it was the first sort of taste of, of boutique um, pedals, quote, unquote, I guess, boutique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, the the the, uh, the Monkey Ear Boutique is is a, is a uh, complex one, uh, but uh, but yeah, broadly speaking, uh, yes. I mean, I think uh, in terms of Australian-made product, I think it was it was pretty unique at the time. Mm-hmm. Now, when you say multiple gain stages, are you like trying to emulate, I guess, like a preamp and a power section or a clipping section? Yeah, yeah, as well? yeah, yeah, precisely. So. So my approach with the, with the, the tube zone was that it, it clipped the signal four times, uh, and uh, the last of those clip uh, stages um, does work. Uh, you know, ha- has a kind of a flat frequency response, like a um, like a, a power amplifier. Okay. Whereas the, the previous uh, section uh, shaped the frequency response a little bit more like a preamp. Very cool. Very cool. Now, I'm always interested with. Um, not only manufacturers but musicians as well. When did the point come for you when you when you thought, okay, I've got this design, I've got this pedal, I can start moving into um, being a company and and selling this thing. What was the transition like for you? Yeah, look, it was it was a bit of an interesting one for me. I mean, um, so the idea of the tubes actually goes back to about '95. So I made a small number in '95, uh-huh. but then I, I kind of put it aside and and, and uh, proceeded to uh, uh, be a responsible uh, uni student and finished uni and went <laughs> got a responsible job and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And then I just thought, oh, you know, I, I wonder if people would be interested in buying this thing. So in 2002. I, um, back when life was a lot more simple in terms of marketing and internet and all that sort of stuff, I, um, yeah, I, just, I, I purchased parts for 25 pedals and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to buy a domain name, register a company, build 25, you know, if I don't sell any, then I haven't, you know, ruined my livelihood. If yeah, they do sure. sell in the next couple of years, then, you know, a couple of years down the track, maybe I'll, I'll buy another 25 parts and try to sell them. You know, it's, it's a nice little uh, thing on the side while I do my normal day job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I found that I actually sold the 25 within a couple of days. Wow. Um, and it was really weird because, I mean, um, obviously people, um, uh, there was absolutely no marketing put into it other than uh, putting up a news story on uh, um, Harmony Central. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which, which back then was was, was probably the uh, largest uh, website for that sort of stuff. Yeah, that was the old uh, sort of message board internet site. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yep. And and uh, the the big thing there was uh, uh, two things. So there was there was a news page on the front. Okay. And so you could submit an article for, uh, uh, for free on that with with a little image. And the other thing there was uh, uh, user reviews. Uh, so once people got them, then they would uh, review them. And then also uh, the message board thing was, was about to take off at the time as well. So, um, yeah, so, so I put up a news item and uh, had a little PayPal button and people actually bought them. Uh, and it was really interesting when, when, when that happened. I, I didn't think at that stage that it was, it was still a viable business, but I thought, oh, gosh, you know, well, uh, you, you know, the, the 25 people that did buy them actually said nice things about it. And I thought, oh, I wonder if I should then, you know, start going around to guitar stores and um, seeing if people will are interested in it. And it was, I had a, a very interesting experience with that. The 
Australian retailers that I spoke to at that stage were not interested in the product because what they did was they actually checked out what the US retailers were selling. And because I wasn't selling in US retailers, they didn't want to stock the product. Okay. Um, and after a couple of months, uh, my pedal ended up being picked up by Music Toys. So I got an email from Teddy over at Music Toys, um, who at the time were, were probably the largest online retailer, quite pioneering okay. um, uh, for, for pedals. And he said, look, man, I'll, I'll, I'll buy, you know, 50 off you or something like that. Um, so he then started selling them and then I started getting emails from other US retailers uh, who wanted to stock uh, the cheap zone. And then all of a sudden I started getting emails from the uh, Australian retailers who told me that they didn't want to stock my pedal (laughs) (laughs) saying, Hey man, how's it going? (laughs) Uh, um, uh, And that was kind of at the point where I thought, you know what, I actually might be able to do this. So it was probably about three, uh, two or three years after starting the business like that, that I thought, you know what, I'm actually generating enough income for me to take the plunge and quit my day job. And, um, And have a crack. Very so cool. yeah, so that, yeah. Apologies for the very long-winded uh, response there. But, nah, uh, man, this is awesome. That's so cool. How did you keep up with demand initially? Like, you, you've got the, you know, with a day job, were you just working around look, the clock building these things? Yeah, I mean, basically, I'd come home at night time uh, and and uh, build uh, the pedals. Uh, I uh, uh, ended up. Um, uh, getting my, my poor wife to help out with, uh-huh. uh, with uh, some of the enclosures and, and the decals and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, as it picked up, I then ended up um, uh, getting my brother-in-law to help. My, 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 my parents were very helpful as well with, uh, with some of the assembly work because both of them have an electronics background. Of course, yeah, so cool. it, was just a, it was just kind of a, you know, really kind of strung it together as, 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 uh, as well as we could at the time. Brilliant, and then so this is when around two thousand five ish, I guess. This would have been yeah. This would have been uh, maybe two thousand and three, two thousand and four. Okay. Um, yep. And that was, it was about two thousand and four, I believe, that I thought, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna quit my day job and just do this uh, uh, full time work, working from home. So that was what I did. Brilliant, man. That's cool. And at the same, I guess around that period, are you, are you thinking about other products? Because the Crunchbox, which has become such an iconic pedal for you, that was released, mm. I believe, around 2005. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So, so that actually coincided with me actually moving out of the house, moving the factory out of the house and and getting employees and, and actually getting a factory and, and doing that. So the first batch of Crunchboxes we built, I think, um, uh, one week after moving to um, to the uh, factory. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so, so it was 2005. I started to do uh, the uh, Crunchbox and the uh, uh, Blue Boy. Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. And uh, uh, I actually uh, designed the Blue Boy a couple of different times. So. Uh, my first iteration, which I didn't end up selling because I wasn't convinced of the, of the design. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I ended up then having a pile of PCBs left over and then I thought, oh, I should get my money back. So I, I, I sold them as a uh, limited one-off um, uh, pedal and that sold so well that I ended up becoming the Blues Pro. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, 
uh, yeah, so that was kind of how, how the uh, product line developed uh, at the time. Awesome, man. I, I love how you've, especially with the, the um, with the Blues Boy into the Pro and the Crunchbox, how you've continually um, refined and, and developed those ideas. So the original Crunchbox was, yeah, like a three-knob dirt box. Did, yeah, that's did, correct, yeah. Did the very first ones have the presence control inside? No, actually, okay. that's a really funny story, and and enough time has passed for me to be able to uh, <laughs> reveal that particular story. So, yeah. my my first prototype did have the presence knob, but what I did was, um, I actually sent uh, that prototype to um, uh, Hargitars over in, in in the Netherlands, who are my distributor, actually still to this day. Um, uh, and I said to them, look, I don't want any trim pots or anything inside the pedal. I want it just a real simple pedal. Um, I, I, I've set it where I think it sounds good. Uh, can you please muck around with it yourself and tell me where you think I should set the present control and then I'll hardwire it as fixed resistors. So they got it and they gave me their feedback and I went, okay, cool, awesome, right, that's what I'll do. So then I built the uh, a batch of 100 um crunch boxes uh with my new employee now unbeknownst to me my new employee didn't know how to read resistor values <laughs> and 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 what he did was he actually put in uh the wrong resistor for one of those fixed um oh, wow. uh, resistors and it ended up being a super super dark pedal okay and this is you know when we were developing uh, processes uh, you know, we hadn't really developed processes. So he was also testing them and they all sounded the same to him. Yeah. So he went, oh, well, okay, that, that must be the way that Michael wants them. Yeah. Um, and we ended up uh, selling these uh, 100 pedals, which was super, super dark. Uh-huh. And then, um, uh, you know, towards the end of the week, I was mucking around uh, with, with one of the last pedals to ship and I went, you know, this sounds a bit funny. So I opened it up, had a look, and lo and behold, there was a wrong component in there. And I went, oh, man, what the hell are we going to do? Uh-huh. <laughs> How are we going to clean this mess up? So I thought, oh, okay, what I'll do is I'll release a version two, uh, and I'll say, oh, new feature, internal trim pot. Okay. And anyone who bought version one, if you want to upgrade immediately, just send me the pedal back and I'll send you out a uh, a V2. So <laughs> Okay, okay, cool. So that so, so that was how the trim pot ended up in, in the in the crunch box. Uh Wow. Yeah, it was, was really just a, a way for me to get back all the old ones that were built incorrectly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And then um, a couple of iterations, the Super Crunch Box comes out, and now the version 2 of the Super Crunch Box has been out, I guess, for a year or so now. Yes, uh, yes. Which yep. seems to be going great. In fact, I've been looking for one, and local retailers are out of them at the moment. <laughs> Yeah, everybody's out. <laughs> yeah, everyone is out of them at the moment. That okay. they are being made. I'm actually um, part of the uh, the complexities of, of um, uh, running the business's supply chains, and I've got right. all the parts to make them. I'm just waiting on uh, the little toggle switches that go on top. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. So my, my my I work directly with the uh, the factory that makes them, and um, uh, just their, their production schedule. They they they. Uh, it's going to take them four months to get around to making that particular part. So okay, wow. every everybody's been out. So there's going to be um, 
a lot of relieved uh, uh, <laughs> retailers in about uh, four weeks' time. <laughs> oh man, and guitar players. I um I had one of the earlier Crunch boxes with it did have mm -hmm. the presence control, and it's yep. interesting reading up about the the Super Crunch, the version two. And you're mm. incredibly honest. You like you talk about why you wanted to develop the pedal and some of the shortcomings of the earlier ones, but how you want to retain the overall vibe of, of the original, um, mm. which is, I think, brilliant. Really, just really, um, yeah, incredibly open oh. and honest about what you wanted to do with the new one. Oh, look, look thank you very much. I, I, I really do appreciate that, actually, because, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I want people to understand the reasoning behind something. I don't, okay. just, I don't just want to put something into their hands and go, you know, if you play this, you're going to sound like, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, yeah. uh, I want to say, look, I want to put a creative tool in your hands and I want you to understand as, as somebody who I wouldn't call myself a musician, but somebody who has an insight into music and somebody yeah, who's course. an engineer by background, uh, you know, why I've done it like this. And this is how you can get the best out of this particular product. So that's also why my, my instruction manuals tend to run. I think the, the super crunch box is like a, four page yeah uh, yeah i love that sort of thing in, in uh in nine size font um, um yeah, because because I, I really do want people to be able to get the most out of the product as well yeah cool um and and i'm, I'm constantly thinking about ways of making it better as well so yeah cool very cool yeah i mean some of the things that i that i loved about the crunch box and some things I, I i just didn't thought i just thought it was me i thought oh maybe maybe this kind of Marshall in a box thing. I don't know. Maybe I just don't understand how to use it. But um, you seem to address all those things, um, in, and still keep the original vibe of the pedal. So, so um, yeah, I'm pretty excited yeah, about yeah. the version too. When um, when you're talking about supply and demand of parts and the toggles, mm. we're we're speaking mm. in late April 2018. When when do you think they'll be back on the shelves? Uh May. Okay. Uh, cool. Yep. Not long. No, definitely by definitely by, by late May. So I'm expecting oh, that last missing part to arrive on the 9th of May. Okay. My supplier absolutely promises me. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, just as a small aside as well, I mean, from a business perspective, when your supplier says, I, I can't deliver the part until then, you go, okay, fine, I'll go look for another supplier. But all of the suppliers I approached, and in fact, I actually approached even a, um, a, part, a company that's, whose job is to source parts. Yeah. Uh, so they kind of hired guns to do that sort of thing. And they said, no, no one's got them. Wow. Um, so, um, yeah, so I was just stuck, unfortunately. <laughs> that, that can happen. But um, yeah. the, the success of the Super Crunch and the Crunch Box is incredible. So, so you've sold over 30,000 of these things all around mm -hmm. the world. Um, yep. They say imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. It's, it's a much copied box. There's, a, there's some controversy over which companies have blatantly copied you and yeah yeah i mean look, look i mean i, I should, should also say that um uh you know in, in terms of the, the design process for the for the for the crunch box so uh my initial idea was to do something that was a little bit like the tube zone but simpler okay so um what happened was then i i i uh, saw that the um uh that the marshall governor had a really interesting way for 
using a single pot with only three legs to adjust the gain in two gain stages. Oh, okay. So then I, I used that part of the circuit and then changed everything else around it. Uh, so I should also acknowledge the fact that the crunch box does have Marshall governor lineage in there as okay, well. Okay, sure. But, but, when, but I mean, that's the thing is, you know, the, the end product is actually quite different. Yeah. Uh, so if you listen to a Marshall governor next to a crunch box, I mean, they sound radically different. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Um, uh, so, yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I do need to obviously uh, acknowledge that as well because, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people say, oh, the crunch box is just a, a governor clone. I'm like, well, yeah, put the two next to each other and have a listen. <laughs> um, uh, but yes, uh, the, the crunch box itself. I mean, look, I, I think that that particular design was was quite a popular and successful one. And um, uh, you, you, the point that you bring up is quite valid. Uh, there's a large number of companies now that do an almost direct rip off of not the the governor, but of my design yes. of, yeah. of, of, uh, of the crunch box. So. Yeah, I think there's about a dozen that I know of. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, yeah, some of them, as far of... as the name, you can buy a thing called a cruncher. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it's interesting how that happens as well. Uh, so with that particular product, um, uh, so there's a whole bunch of uh, DIY forums um, and uh, somebody got their hands on, on, a, on, a, on a crunch box and reversed it. Okay. Uh, and post it on the DIY forum. And to be honest with you, I've got absolutely no issue with that at all. I think that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, more than happy for people to have a crack at building anything that I've made. Um, the, where it gets a little bit murky is then, you know, commercial companies troll the DIY forums and actually, you know, pull up, sure. uh, pull out. Uh, in the circuits that, that people have, re- have reverse engineered and manufactured them. The reason I know that that happened is that that first initial um, schematic that was floating around by a gentleman in Japan who goes by the name of Matsumin, I think, or something like that, um, uh, had a, a couple of mistakes in it, and that was actually copied into the original cruncher. Ah, uh, okay, okay. So with that uh, resistor problem? You mean down to that sort of level? No, no, no. He, he made, made he made a mistake in reading a couple oh, of the resistor, okay. uh, and I think a couple of the capacitor values as well. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. So, so that got ended up that ended up getting wow. uh, copied into the cruncher. Okay. And then after that, um, you know, people fixed up the schematic, and then they started making uh, more accurate uh, crunches. Right. Um, and then, interestingly, that was about the time that the larger U.S. manufacturers ended up jumping on board and. Um, uh, copying the, the crunch box as well. Okay. And what what scope is there for a guy like yourself to follow that up in any way? Is there any way you can protect your your design? Oh, look, I think it's I think it's it's really tricky. I mean, there is scope, uh, but a lot of um, uh, you know when it comes to the IP world, a lot of um, uh, the value of an IP really is determined by um, uh, how deep your pockets are to litigate. Right, um, okay. So it's, it's, it's one of those scenarios where, uh, you know, the, 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 there, there are companies with a lot of money that don't have legitimate IP, but who are financially powerful enough to be able to scare the pants off anybody who goes anywhere near them. Right, okay. um, Yeah, so it's it's... Yeah, so the answer to that's it's a little bit tricky. I mean, yes, there is scope, but it's just a case of is it really worth my my uh, my while? Yeah, sure. Um, 
I mean, what 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 I found, which has been quite interesting, is that um, uh, you know the um, information about the uh, the the uh, you know all of this cloning has um, uh, been transmitted fairly efficiently via the internet. So most people know that uh, you know uh, pedal X, which costs three times as much as a crunch box, is in fact just a crunch box. Right. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> um, uh, you know, there's there's there's, there's uh, uh, about four pedals that I know of that are considerably more expensive than a crunch box. They're just uh, done by supposedly reputable uh, companies over in the US who, um, yeah, yeah, uh, sell them as their own thing. Gotcha, gotcha. And and people and people, it's it's really funny as well because people pay the extra money because of the name as well. I think that that's quite interesting. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like you said, the information is so freely out there now. If when you say there's 12 known copies of the crunch box, it, mm. it's not going to take any of us very long to find out what they are. And we already know no. a bunch of them already um, yeah. by, by some of these big companies. Um, mm. And yet, yeah, as you say, people still buy brand XYZ because it's got some famous guitar player's name on it or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And that that's always been a really interesting part of the uh equipment manufacturing business as well. Um uh, musicians uh, what, what if I could ask musicians to do one thing, really it would be just to use your ears. You know, don't believe what you read on a forum or or see an advertising or whatever. Just use your ears, but it's a really tr- difficult thing for musicians to get their heads around, you know. Mm. Um, uh, uh, what, 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 what I mean by that is the price of a lot of the products that, that um, you know, you and I buy are, are grossly inflated as a result of, you know, advertising budgets and endorsement deals and all that sort of stuff. And we could buy exactly the same product uh, with exactly the same quality and produce exactly the same tones if we were prepared to just go in there and go, you know what, I'm just going to sit down for half an hour in the guitar shop and find, you know, the pedal that I like the most, yeah. not the pedal that I've heard about the most. Yeah. Um, we would save ourselves a hell of a lot of money. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And so that, that's always been a, a very tricky area for, for me in terms of MI audio, because my philosophy has always been to try to keep the, 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 the cost down as much as possible and to hope that uh, people will use their ears to make a decision about my product. And I'm, I'm more than happy to, you know, for people to not like something that I make. I mean, I think that's completely fine. Sure. I, I would actually much rather, you know, if, if somebody tries one of my products and they don't like it, I'd much rather that they didn't buy it yeah. rather than have me somehow, for, you know, corner them into buying it and for them to then not like it and then to go tell their friends how horrible it was. Sure. Um, um, yeah, so, so I, I really wish you know musicians would, would uh, use their ears a little bit more in terms of making decisions about the about their equipment uh, sure. purchases, and I feel this most intensely when it comes to the amplifiers. So that's okay. the uh, the area that uh, yeah yeah uh, I, w- I want uh, to that's the trickiest. I want to move over to that. Just as a quick aside, you're the second mm-hmm. guy in two weeks to mention musicians. Um, listening with their eyes, <laughs> I guess is the expression. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, I had Rod McQueen from Sliders Pickups saying essentially the same sort of thing last yep. week. Um, so very interesting, and I, I agree 100%. Um, mm. Amps, yeah, you mentioned amps. When did you 
when did you start building amps? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, going back to my original uh, story, I mean, the amps actually were, were the first things that I started building, uh, the, the kit amps, and then I, you know, um, but in terms of actually doing them commercially, I believe it was 2008 okay. that I released uh, the Revelation. Um, uh, yep, yep. Uh, so, um, yeah, which which was my my um, well, I guess people call my, my flagship amp. It was actually meant to be the the small amp in the lineup. Okay. Uh, so that was a um, uh, my original amp idea was actually an eight channel amplifier. Wow. But uh, <laughs> but people thought I was clearly trying to compensate for something, uh, so I <laughs> I didn't release it. <laughs> <laughs> to keep the rumours at bay. <laughs> so it's only four channels, is that right? Yeah, the Revelation's only a four-channel, you know, a 28-knob mini switching campfire. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Now, you're still, are you still building that? I saw you post one recently. Are, are they like a yeah, are they on like yeah, a custom uh, list or are they readily available? Yeah, I mean, look, at this stage, all of my amps are on, on the custom list. Okay, um, okay. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the reason for that really comes back to that that marketing thing that, that we were discussing earlier. But um, I mean, all all of my amps I build myself now by hand, yeah, um, wow. and uh, yep, yeah, sell them sell them direct as opposed to through uh, retailers. Okay, there's just a um, I think two retailers that might have uh, some of my amps, but um, uh, yep, yeah, I, I I I sell predominantly direct now. So okay. Which is cool. And it's funny, you mentioned pricing earlier. Your prices are incredibly competitive. So especially in Australia, where mm. by the time a lot of quote unquote big name stuff gets mm. here, um, it's the prices are incredibly inflated through lots of processes, not necessarily just the manufacturer, but um Yep. Yeah, like the, the crunch the new crunch box, the I think the retail's one seventy nine. The shops yep. are doing it a little bit lower than that. Um, mm. the, your amps, I was checking out the price of your amps. To have one, something hand-built like that for the price you're offering is pretty remarkable. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, the, to, to, to uh, let uh, you in and, and any other prospective uh, uh, smaller manufacturers in on, on, on the secret, really, it's about um, you know careful uh, procurement of parts. So, so for example, with... Okay. Um, you know, head shells are a big thing for, you know, ant manufacturers. If you're going to be doing head shells as one-offs, you know, if you consider uh, the time it would take to, you know, go buy a sheet of plywood and, uh, you know, to cut it up and to do the joinery and to, you know, do the corners and, and then sand it back and then, you know, uh, and then get your, you know, go down to the shop and buy, you know, uh, vinyl glue and the Tolex and then to sit there and to do it. And then yeah. you haven't done it for a while. So you make a mistake and you have to pull the Tolex off and redo it again. And, okay. uh, you know, it ends up being quite a, um, um, uh, a laborious uh, exercise. Um, so my approach has always been, you know, that for, for key bits of um, uh, the hardware, I try to get a lot of those in advance for the amps. Uh, so, for example, uh, you know, with the head shells, so I contracted a, um, a U.S. manufacturer to make me up 100 head shells. Okay. Uh, all Tolex stuff. So I've got those sitting there and ready to go. Uh, and, that, and that way I was able to, to in key areas of, of, of uh, production, to really reduce the cost by, gotcha. by investing um, up front. Okay. Um, yeah, so things like, you know, the chassis and the, and the transformers and that sort of stuff. I mean, that's all done using that kind of methodology. Okay. Yep. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Mm. But essentially, yeah, you're still buying an app that you've handmade yourself. That's that's incredible. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so. Very cool. You've, you've always been really upfront with your R&D. Um, I had Brian Wampler on, on this podcast, which was really cool, but he... He was saying at this stage of his career, he doesn't like to say too much about what he's building because everyone will hassle him for the next year until he builds it. Mm. Um, mm. You'll you'll post stuff you've got in the works. I've, like I've seen, a, you're working on a compact isolated power supply. You posted yep. that uh, naked, chassisless, as it were. Yep. Um, I yep. know you're talking about an analog amp modeler, for want of a better word, or a, an analog mm-hmm. amp thing. Um, yeah, that that's very cool as well. Do, What's what's the reasoning there? Do you want input? You just like talking about stuff as you go. Um, oh, look, it's it's a combination of, of uh, a few different things. I mean, for me, it's a bit more uh, of uh, kind of a childlike enthusiasm. I, yeah. I get very excited when when I come up with something new. I really want to share it. And and the, the you know the the way that I'm running the business now, which is uh, you know uh, a, a one man show in terms of. Um, uh, a lot of the functions it's uh also work in isolation so it's also really important to get feedback i think it's very dangerous to um assume that your opinions are, are correct 100 percent of the time sure um, yep you know uh, getting people's inputs really important so that's you know they're all parts of the reason why you know they're all components and that go into the decision that i've made to, to share my uh design process with people okay yep and when you've got a new product uh, in prototype stage, do you have people who take the stuff out and will gig with this stuff for a while and, and get back to you, that sort of thing? Is that part of it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, uh, you know, a lot of my uh, longstanding um, uh, uh, customers or, 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 you know, people from uh, recording studios or obviously people who... who uh, in bands who play live as well, I'll, yeah. I'll um, get them to try stuff out. Yeah, cool. I wanted to talk about some of the artists you have worked with. Um, Brett Kingman uh, is one guy who springs to mind who has had a long association with you. And you seem to be uh, mutual admirers of, of one another. Oh, yeah. Brett's, uh, Brett, Brett's just a, an absolute legend, uh, both as a musician and as a, as a person as well. So um yeah i mean he's 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 uh, great you know we've both got um uh you know i, I am a huge admirer of his guitar playing but mm-hmm. uh, but beyond that as well i mean i think that we both have uh you know mutual admiration for a lot of other musicians as well who who um um uh, who, who, who who we both uh, admire a lot um so i remember in 2008 i believe i, I bumped into brett at an Alan Holdsworth gig in, okay. uh, in at the Baked Potato in LA, and it was just a, uh, I mean, it was exciting for me to, to bump into Brett, but then doubly as exciting for us to be there at a Alan Holdsworth gig together. Yeah, wow, unreal. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yep. Very cool. He um he speaks very warmly of you. Un- unbeknownst to you, actually, Michael, I um when I told him I was speaking to you because he was one of the first guests on this show. Um, he didn't know me from a bar of soap, but very generously came on, and that ended up being a really cool interview. Um, I said, "Hey, I'm." I just emailed. Said, "Hey, I'm speaking to Michael. Would you, mm. um, would you send like a forward or an intro? So you'll have to listen to this once it's our interview. Once it's oh wow, okay. <laughs> he does a little intro for us. Um, he was very generous to do that. But yeah, he's yeah, obviously really loves what you're doing, and 
Oh, that's just, yeah, that, that's just beautiful. And I think that the thing I really appreciate as well about, about uh, Brett and, you know, uh, a lot of the guys that I work with, because I, I don't really do the endorser thing. So yeah. it's, it's lovely to get that kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, unsolicited, uh, you know, feedback from people, um, you know, so that, that really does uh, make my day. And I, th- I think as well, it's a joy for me as somebody who loves music, but is really unable because I don't have the talent to, to, to really um, uh, be part of the creative process. Doing this really gives me the opportunity to, to become part of the creative process in terms of the, the, the technology that I provide people to make their music. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, yeah, it's, it's, it's just an absolute joy to put on a recording and go, oh, yeah, okay, that was the... That was the blue boy, or you know. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Um, yeah, yeah. If I if I look at your social media, I'm just as likely to read a post about you raving about a fellow Australian manufacturer as much as talking about your own products. What, what's your take on on uh, small businesses like yourself in Australia building amps and guitars and pedals and things um, at the moment? Yeah. Um... That, that's 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 a, a a complex one. The complexity comes about from the fact that we um, make some of the best stuff in the world. Uh, so you know, a lot of the companies that I uh, uh, rave about are, are not. There's nothing in it for any of us to uh, be nice about each other's products. Mm-hmm. Um, it it really is genuinely. You know, when I listen to, you know, Dwayne Ledford's amps or, or, or um, Pete Reynolds' amps or, or, or Daryl or, you know, yeah. um, uh, you know, there's a whole bunch, you know, or Pete Crosley guitars or or Charles Sealy guitars or et cetera, et cetera. You know, they are all products that I genuinely pick up and go, wow, that is just incredible. And I want people to know about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the other side of that is that, it is almost impossible in the Australian market to get traction now with, with, with Australian musicians. Um, I feel very fortunate to have, you know, have started my business in 2002 because I think if I were to come on the scene now and to try to introduce products, I don't think, I don't think it would work. Um, Why do you to, say to be, that? Uh, to, to be, to be blunt about it. I just don't think, I mean, there's, there's a, a couple of reasons for that. I mean, uh, reason one, the um, the industry is driven by hype, and Australian companies are not in a position to hype up their products um, uh, to, to a great extent. Uh, number two, um, uh, the reality of the situation is that you know cost of manufacture in Australia is is a lot higher than almost anywhere else in the world, including the US. You know, okay. we, we are you know at least twice as expensive as the US manufacturing. Uh, not to mention all of the regulations and all that sort of stuff that that make things even more difficult. Um, uh, uh, number three, the the ease with which you can now get stuff online means that you can just pick up whatever you want from anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so all of those things together uh, really do make the Australian manufacturing landscape really quite challenging. Right. Um, you know, and even, even down to things like, uh, I mean, even as an Australian manufacturer, it's becoming more and more difficult to source parts locally. Um, uh, you know, so 
maybe about 10 years ago, the last uh, printed circuit board uh, uh, company ceased to manufacture in Australia and just outsources all this stuff overseas. Okay. Um, you know, so even little things like that, if you want to, you know, uh, make a phone call and get a couple of PCBs done in a couple of days and, and, and sent to you in Australia, it just doesn't exist anymore. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you, need, you need to go overseas to do that. Given given the Australian population as well, um, you know, our land mass is very similar to North America and yet our population is mm. incredibly smaller. Um, mm. Surely that's got some impact on local trade anyway. Did you have any idea of those 30,000-odd crunch boxes, just to, mm. you know, just to name that one product, um, how many are still in Australia or, or how much end up going overseas for you? Um, in terms of the breakdown, it would be about 85% overseas and about okay. 15% wow. local. Um, wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And, and that, that's based on 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 which retailers they go to, but sure. um, uh, from the retailer, I don't know where they go. Um, so you know, so so obviously now with the um, uh, you know borderless uh, transactions, I've got no idea if I sell a pedal to an Australian retailer if it's being shipped overseas or not. Okay. Okay. Wow. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Interesting times, hey, for that we're yeah. living in. Very interesting. Yeah, no, 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 really, really, really quite interesting. I think, um, uh, yeah, very, very challenging environment, but uh, but also not, uh, uh, you know, you really do need to be able to think outside the box in order to um, uh, to uh, be successful. And I, I think it is possible to be successful, but I think it takes, you know, thinking around the problem uh, to a large extent and. Um, yeah, uh, but by the same token, it is also getting trickier and trickier with uh, just how um, uh, dense the market's becoming in terms of products. But also, the reality is that you know, by all accounts, interest in um, electric guitar is waning as well. So there are, there's more product than ever, and probably mm. less and less people interested in, in in the product. So okay, yeah, we hear that. We hear that comment made a lot recently. Um, interesting mm. to hear um, you echo that as you know, as a manufacturer of high quality electric guitar equipment. Yeah, um, uh, I mean, I've I, I um, uh, made a uh, uh, well, kind of an accidental decision actually in two thousand and fourteen to uh, to return to a, to a one man show, and it was uh, really meant to be just just a temporary um, uh, setup for me, but. Uh, uh, it actually ended up uh, making me, from, from a personal perspective, uh, a, a lot more financially stable. Okay. And uh, and and what was meant to be a, a temporary move ended up uh, becoming a, a permanent uh, setup, and it's it's working quite well. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, the uh, uh, the through, you know, I'm, I'm not selling as much product as I used to, uh, but uh, it's it I'm. Uh, <laughs> to, to, to put it bluntly, I get a lot more money from uh, each unit that I sell now. So, sure. So I don't need to. I don't need to move as much unit. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So the whole business yeah. model works better that way for you, anyway. So that's yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. And and I think I think for Australian manufacturers, I think that that's really going to be the way to go. So as opposed to thinking about um, you know investing a lot and running a very large operation, that for the vast majority of people, it's going to be about running. Uh, uh, much smaller operations uh, where you have a lot more um, 
agility to um, to uh, to uh, cope with, uh, with with changes and um, a lot more flexibility to uh, to deal with um, you know all of the practical things to do with cash flow and sales and all that sure. sort of stuff. Yeah, mm. yeah, very cool, very interesting. Mm. Um, well, what does the future look like then for for MI Audio apart from after you know for May the tenth building a gazillion crunch boxes? <laughs> Um, Once you do yeah, that. look, yeah, I mean, look, uh, my, my, my biggest issue at the moment is, is running one man show. I've yep. got so many ideas uh-huh. that every time I go, okay, right, I need to work on this idea. Yeah. I just look at my backlog of work, you know, now, you know what, I need to get this run of pedals done before I, I start working on that. Sure. And I'm just, um, you know, I, I can't keep up with demand, which is great. You know, yeah. uh, no, no complaints about that, but it is stifling my my um uh output um so i've got you know in terms of the stuff that i'm working on uh, the amps i've got my um my my big monster uh programmable amp mm-hmm. um still uh, still working on that one okay um i've got uh um uh, obviously the uh version two of the uh, uh iron duke i've got the version two of the uh megalith beta yeah great. Uh, which has just come out as well so the iron, uh, iron Duke, and... that's your more, I don't, I don't, this is the wrong word, but more of a traditional rock amp in some ways. Um, although yeah, totally yeah. hot rodded, I must say. Um, and the megaliths yeah. are more high gain kind of situation. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's correct. Yeah. I know I'm painting um, just ridiculously broad brush strokes there. I'm sure you could do whatever you wanted with either of them. Yeah, uh, look, I mean, I, th- I think that that's that's a fair uh, a fair assessment. I mean, that they okay. are kind of targeted those things, and that was one of the things I found with amps actually, which was interesting. I think that the revelation, which did a lot of different things, yeah, it's kind of like with digital modeling. What what, what I found was that, you know, you, you get a digital modeler and you're excited about the fact that you've got two hundred amps, you know, at your disposal, and then invariably what happens is you find the one clean sound that you like, yeah, and the one overdrive sound that you like, and you go, oh, cool. You know, so yeah. you pick two of those 200 amps and you yeah. just use those two. <laughs> and I think that that was what I found with, with the revelation as well. Okay. So, you know, with, with 12 different tones, yeah. you'd speak to people go, oh, I love the amp. I'm using, you know, the clean on channel one and the uh, the uh, mid gain on channel three. Yeah, right. Gotcha. They go, oh, okay, so you're not using channel four, you know, low, mid, high. They go, no, no, no. Um, yeah, so I, th- I think, I think with, with, you know, with with the amps that there is a certain wisdom to, to looking at, you know, specific styles with with the amplifiers themselves okay yeah. um yeah so uh with that in mind i'm, I'm also hopefully going to get uh two combos out this year okay uh, cool. so I've, I've been i've been uh looking at the combo thing for quite some time i ended up uh shelving the project for a little while but i'm just picking that up now okay um yeah so i've got two designs that uh i are um getting close to being finalized now which is um the uh the duchess which is a um uh for want of a better term kind of a, a combo version of, of the iron duke okay great um and then uh the aquarius which is a um uh kind of the ultimate clean machine so a kind of a fendery based uh, uh design with uh a four knob reverb and a four knob tremolo and oh, a man. switch to change the the switch to change the order of the reverb and the tremolo and yeah cool. just yeah yep, so, uh, sounds awesome man sounds great yeah um and then the, the pedal's really just a case of trying to keep up <laughs> <laughs> i know man i'm one of the guys okay <laughs> <laughs> oh classic 
All good. No, May 9th. I was super stoked to hear that date. That's good. I can I can hang out till then. Uh, <laughs> I like your stuff. Hey, uh, Michael, thank you so much for, for speaking with me today. It's been awesome. Um, you've been yeah, so... Absolutely a pleasure, Matt. Thank you so much. Oh, pleasure. You've been so open and, and forthcoming and um, about, yeah, lots of aspects. So, yeah, I just really appreciate it. And I know the listeners will as well. Uh, what... no, thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I love the podcast. And, yeah, no, it's, it's, just, it's just lovely just to sit down and listen to something in this format as well. So I yeah, really oh, appreciate it. Excellent. Uh, is the best way for people to keep up with you, I guess, the MI Audio site? Um, yeah, Facebook the, the MI Audio stuff. site, or probably the Facebook is probably a little bit more efficient. I've sure. been a little bit lazy with the website. But, um, uh, yeah, yeah, F- Facebook is probably the easiest. Um, yeah, if anyone has any questions, questions just uh yeah send me an email and uh uh yeah communicate that way as well yeah great excellent all right well cool mate thank you again so much it's been really very very cool yeah thank you very much all right now that was going to be my conversation with Michael Ibrahim. But after the interview, up up until this point, we just kept chatting on the phone for a little bit longer. And the story of how Marshall wanted to acquire MI came up. So it's a fascinating story. So I asked Michael if I could use that little excerpt of our off-the-record conversation. He said that was fine. So um, with Michael's permission, here is the Marshall story. Yeah, actually, uh, in terms of working with other people, I actually nearly ended up at Marshall. Oh really? Uh, yeah. Uh, so that was uh, quite a quite a funny story. I was um, uh, about 2011. Uh, I was uh, going through one of my many midlife crises, and uh, you know, looking at all my friends who graduated from engineering, you know, they're all kind of middle up in management and internationalities and all that sort of stuff. And I thought, oh man, I'm just I'm stuck in a factory in Camperdown, you know, you know smelling solar all day. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, oh, I wonder if my skills are worth anything. And just, I just happened to be on the Marshall website and I saw a little jobs ad and I went, you know, clicked on that and they were looking for a design engineer. And I went, oh, just to see if I'm, if I'm employable, let me apply for the job and see what happens. So I applied for the job and got it. Okay. Um, and and then they said, well, what yes, I'm going. Well, we, uh, part of the negotiation then was to, was to work out what that involved. Uh, so, so they said, "Well, my thinking was I'll just keep them already going. I'll just work from Australia designing apps for them." Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so that was what I was hoping. Well, I wasn't hoping for anything actually, but I thought this might be an opportunity. Maybe I can do it like that. So they said, "Well, no, we don't want you to do that. We want you to be in the UK. So why don't you come over to the UK and check it out?" And actually, we'll just buy my audio. Okay. Wow. So I was like, I was like, okay, all right, wow, that sounds really good. And then I was working on on the uh, FlexAmp idea, the programmable amp at the time. I thought, oh, okay, here's a really good way to increase the value of the company. Let me develop that a little bit further, and then I'll go present it to them. Okay. So I took out the patents and flew over to to the UK, and I said, look, you know, signed NDAs and said, okay, look, this is what I want to. This is what my company's developing. So if you want to buy me out, you need to buy me out with this in, in mind. Can you imagine like a fully programmable Marshall amp that does any amp ever built? Pure vacuum tube. Wow. You guys are going to sell a, a mozza of this stuff. And basically we negotiated uh, for a little while and, and they weren't prepared to offer anywhere near what I was uh, wanting for, for the business given that I had that IP. And then I left Marshall 
and went, what have I done? I've told the biggest amp manufacturing company in the world a killer amp idea. Right. I've, I've got patents, but once again, patents are only worth as much as you've got to litigate. Yeah. So in other words, they would just outgun me financially and I'd be able to protect myself. Oh, crap, what have I done? <laughs> so then I came back to, to Sydney and I said, right, six months' time, I want to be at NAM with the FlexAmp. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, so that was how the whole FlexAmp project happened. I don't know if you've seen any of that. Not much. I, I've, I've read little bits and pieces, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so that end, that didn't end up happening because yeah. um, what happened was I, 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 I took the idea over – well, I, I had an almost working – prototype uh-huh. uh, and I just had to do the finally once it landed in the US yeah um, so we got there a week early but then it got caught in customs oh no and actually didn't end up getting released until I think the second day of the NAM show so we couldn't build it but in the meantime what I did was I'd set up meetings with all these companies to try to sell the IP to them yeah and it was really interesting. See, my, 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 my background in, in the early 2000s, so I was working in, um, in Alcatel Australia doing uh, software uh, design for, uh, for phone networks. Then I moved over to a startup called Alithium Networks. And this is kind of uh, pre-tech bubble days. Okay. So my experience with, with selling IP was you just walk up to a company and go, oh, look, I've got an idea for this. And they go, I'll give you $100 million, you know. <laughs> people people are just throwing money at at yeah. unproven concepts and whatever. So I, I thought if I go there and I go, look, I've got the IP, I've you know, give me a couple of extra months, I'll, I'll get the amp working. Um, uh, you know, this is what it's going to do and this is what it's going to look like. And you know, we can scale it back to make it manufacturable because it's just a proof of concept. Uh, what I found was that actually the, the 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 manufacturing scene had gotten so cautious with product. That everybody I spoke to, Fender, Marshall, Line Six, uh, Yamaha, you know, all these people I, I, I met up with, basically said, you know, no, we're not going to buy an idea off you. You fully develop the amplifier, uh-huh. and you and you start manufacturing it. And when you when you're actually manufacturing it, then come talk to us. Whereas I thought, well, hang on, if I'm manufacturing it, why do I need you? Exactly. Uh, what, what I was interested in was somebody buying the IP because I thought I don't have the facilities to be able to manufacture something this complex. So, yeah, so, so that whole project uh, came, to, came to, a, to a halt as a result, wow. uh, having, a, having, you know, cost me like a quarter of a million dollars in the process. <laughs> oh, my <goodness>. <laughs> <laughs> Is that something you'd really look at if you, if you had the time and... Well, well, I, I am actually. Uh, so I've got. Uh, I'm, I'm. I'm working on on a stripped back version of, of the flex amp at the moment. Okay. Cool. Uh, so, so it'll be a um, uh, kind of a standard looking uh, vacuum tube amplifier, uh, where basically you can download circuits onto it and then it builds it in, in, in the tube domain. You know, the the idea being basically it's, it's like a digital modeling app, but um, um, uh, yeah, all all all, all pure vacuum tube. And then you can just, you know, upload uh, uh, whatever designs you want on there. Okay. So, um, uh, yeah, so that's that's the, the thinking at this stage. Wow. Um, so right now it's it's looking like it's going to be a rack mount uh, preamp, so something along the lines of 
because because I'm I'm trying to put it into the um uh kind of the Kemper XFX world. Okay, okay, yeah. So so kind of a rack mount preamp is probably the way to go. Um, yeah, so that's that's the uh, that's the uh, thinking at this stage. All right, there's the Marshall story. That's pretty fascinating. Not only the Marshall story, but that of the Flex Amp as well. And I'm really glad that concept is still alive. And I'll be following that with great interest. Hey, also really great news that the Super Crunchbox version 2 should be back on the shelves of your local music shop uh, around the end of May. Michael was, was thinking so. That'll be cool. Um, yeah, I'm definitely intending to buy one, stick it on my board. I'll report back to you guys and let you know how that goes. All right, my great thanks to Michael for joining us. It's a great story, really wonderful story, and I'm so glad we got to share it on the podcast today. My thanks also to Brett Kingman for opening up the show and sending me that audio file that he created. Really, really lovely of him to do that. The full episode with Brett is, there's a link in our show notes for this, but if you head over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher Radio, you can access any of the past episodes, the previous 81 episodes of the Guitar Speak podcast. Remember, we're also on Facebook and Instagram, and we love to hear from you over there. All right, I'm out of here. Thank you so much for joining me. My name's Matt Wakeling. You've been listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. We'll catch you next time.